Welcome to the house of the Lord. Uh, it's the house of the Lord because God's people are gathered together in it. We're so grateful that you have come to join us today in our time of worship. And afterward, we will also have a time of, of some food and some fun with uh, water events and games. Uh, but thank you so much for coming and joining us in worship. I did want, before I go any further, uh, I've been told that there are people asking about our service in Kenya, Rwanda. Uh, that happens generally on Sundays at 2 p.m. Uh, 2 to 4 p.m. is our Kenya, Rwanda service. Today, of course, we're doing a joint service, so uh, this is the service for all of us. But normally on Sundays at 9.30, we have a service in Spanish, at 11 in English, and at 2 p.m., in Kenya, Rwanda. So if anybody had any questions about that, I wanted to make sure uh, you were aware. Uh, I wanted to talk today about the rainbow and about God. Uh, believe it or not, uh, there is something in the Bible about the rainbow. Uh, you're probably familiar with at least some version of the story, right? Uh, the story of uh, the ark and Noah and his family and the animals and uh, the rainbow which came afterwards. So the passage I'm going to look at today in Genesis chapter 9 verses 8 through 17 is actually what happens after at the end when God talks about the rainbow. But let me explain first of all how it all came to be. What happened before God talked about the rainbow and it's the flood. It's very interesting to note that flood stories are in the background of just about every human culture, regardless of where people, you go back far enough in history, everybody has a version of a flood story. Uh, and the Bible talks about the flood as well. And uh, different stories of this, different versions of this, have different explanations for why this huge flood happened on earth, um, but the, the Bible has an explanation for why this flood took place. And let me just briefly read uh, the description in chapter 6 of Genesis, uh, so it'll kind of set us up for what we're looking at in chapter 9. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. It's very interesting uh, but in, in other flood accounts, uh, the gods uh, decide to send the flood because people on earth are making too much noise or they're annoying them in some way. And then they find out after they send the flood that they needed the worship of humans to be able to survive themselves. And then that's why they, they, they're happy that humankind uh, survives. But that's not at all the way it's told in the Bible. Uh, God's not simply upset that people are making noise. It's not simply that we're kind of uh, too loud and God is kind of a grumpy old man on a front porch. Uh, God is very much aware of what's going on. And as he looks on earth, he sees all the stuff that we see when we look around the earth. He sees wars and uh, 
abuse and cruelty, and he sees that it seems like everybody is just bent on pursuing this pattern of destructive living on this earth. And uh, in, in the Bible, we're told that the reason there is an earth and the reason there are human beings on the earth is that God created them. And his intent for all of this was for it to be good and for us to actually enjoy a, uh, an existence on, in this universe he's created that was good and purposeful and beautiful. But when God looked down, because we had chosen sin over God's plan, the whole earth now falls under this power of this dark way of living where cruelty now seems to govern everything. God looks and sees that the intention of the thoughts of our hearts was only evil continually. And uh, some of the saddest words we read in the Bible, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. I think if we look around the earth, we, we can admit, you know, there's a lot in the world that is not as it should be. In fact, I, can, I know honestly, a lot of you here today, I have talked to a lot of you who have come here from other countries, and the reason you are here is not that you enjoy uh, the difficulties you're having to face, learning a new language and starting at the very bottom and starting all over with your life. It's not that you were looking forward to something like that, but back home, there were even evil, wicked men who were putting your life in danger and you had to decide, am I going to stay here and leave my children in danger or am I going to go somewhere else and start all over? We know the world's messed up and there is abuse and wickedness and evil all around us. We can kind of see how God could look down on this earth and say, I am sorry I made it. I am sorry I created humans. If this is what they're going to do, why did I do it at all? And I think most of us externalize this. We look at the world and we see all the evil around us and all the wicked people around us and we say, yeah, I can see how God would be disappointed with this world because this world is awful. A few of us are honest enough with ourselves to say, you know what, I understand why God's disappointed in me. I understand my part in this problem, my own contribution, my own selfish approach to living life, and I am not noble, and I am not righteous, and I am not great and glorious and good. I am part of that problem. I can see, and boy, it hurts to admit that God could look down on us and say, I am sorry I gave you the gift of life. That's where we find God in Genesis 6. And we can even understand God's response. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to wipe it all out. I created it. It is my right as creator. Uh, if you create something and make it and it isn't what you wanted it to be, you have every right to say, I'm going to scrap this and start over. So... Genesis 6, 5 through 7 tells us why the flood happened. The next question is, why was there an ark? And that we find in verse 8. 
But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We just read that the intent of every single person on earth was only to pursue evil continually. How dark a moment in human history was that? Where not a single person on earth had any interest in goodness or God or anything like that. And yet there's one guy who seems to have turned uh, his attention toward God. Now, I'll tell you about Noah. The Bible tells us enough about him to know that he was not a perfect man. He was not sinless. He was not faultless. But the difference with Noah was that he actually wanted to draw close to God. And he actually wanted his life to be better than it was. And he wanted to be something other than the wickedness that he knew was inside himself and around him. And he turned to God, and God saw him, and God said, you know what? I could just destroy everything and start over, but let me do something different. And that's the rest of that story leading up to chapter 9. This is what God does. He says, okay, I will still do the flood, I'm going to uh, bring a cleansing uh, on the earth, but I'm not going to eradicate humanity. I will, ask, I will have Noah build an ark, and him and his family will get on this ark, and I will also have him bring on the ark animals so that animal life is not eradicated, and there is the necessary animal life for the ecosystems to continue, and, uh, and that's exactly what happens. Forty days and forty nights, it rains, and the water levels rise, and uh, uh, there's a, a massive cleansing of the earth. A lot of the wickedness is done away with because the wicked people doing wicked things are no longer alive. Uh, people often complain that God allows evil in the world. If God is good, why is the world so full of evil? Well, the, the flood is a good example of how God could fix the problem. All he has to do is kill all of us because we're the ones doing this stuff. It's not God. And in the days of Noah, God does this flood, and then, but he, he doesn't eradicate. He says, you know what? I'm not going to eradicate all life. I'm going to rescue. So uh, here's the difficulty that God faces. Those of us who complain that God allows evil, uh, if he were going to remove evil, he would have to remove all of us. So suppose God says, well, that's not how I want to deal with it. I don't want to just remove humankind. How can I deal with the problem of wickedness and evil without destroying humankind? Well, the first step in this whole plan of God uh, was this ark. And after God saves this group of people, you know, they get off the ark, and the problems begin almost immediately. Noah gets drunk, and his son Ham finds him drunk and kind of makes fun of him instead of uh, guarding his honor. And when he gets over his drunkenness, Noah gets up, and he curses his son Ham, and he even curses his grandson Canaan uh, because of they've embarrassed him. And we can, we can see right away that the problem continues in Genesis. We can see right away that the problem of the way we're choosing to live life is still not right. 
And yet God enters into a covenant. So this is where we are in chapter 9, verse 8 through 10. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. So after saving uh, this very reduced group uh, so that he's not eradicating all life, he says, uh, once they get off the ark, I'm, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. You know what a covenant is? It's an agreement between two parties. And covenants uh, generally are, have mutually binding aspects. So I, I promise this to you and you promise this to me. Let me show you uh, the best example of a covenant that happens all the time. Marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It is uh, uh, two people entering into a commitment to each other. So God here establishes his first covenant and he, is, he doesn't just establish it with Noah. He doesn't just establish it with Noah's family. He establishes it with all life. He is making a commitment to his whole creation. And the shocking thing about this covenant is that it only has requirements on one side. God does not demand anything from his creation. He says, I am willingly entering into this covenant as a gift born of the goodness of God himself. He says, I am going to commit myself to you, my creation. Even though we were in no position to demand anything from him, God in his goodness says, I will bind myself in a covenant to you. What was the covenant? Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God entered into a commitment with life that he would not end it. That he would allow us to continue to live. That's amazing. Because we've already seen God regretted having made us. His, our wickedness uh, was an offense to him. It wasn't what he intended when he gave us the gift of life. And yet, uh, God willingly binds himself and says, I will never eradicate life. You might think, well, that, that's nice. That means we still get to live. But that doesn't really solve the problem, does it? Is God just saying, okay, I'm going to let wicked people continue to do wicked things and I'm going to let oppression and cruelty just run rampant across the earth and it'll just keep going on forever. That's not what God was saying. And we need the rest of the Bible to see what this first covenant connects into because God entered into a total of five covenants throughout the Bible. And each one is connected. Um, so the first step in this plan of rescue for creation, God wasn't just going to not destroy. He was actually going to rescue creation from this problem. 
So let me talk about these covenants. The first is with Noah. It's a promise to not destroy. The second one comes a little bit later. There's a descendant of Noah by the name of Abram. God will later change his name to Abraham. He was another guy that just trusted God. So God approaches him and calls him and he follows after God and really all that Abraham did in his life was follow where God told him to go and trust him and believe him when God said and uh, obey him when God gave him instructions. He, he trusted God and as a result God entered into a covenant with Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? God said, Abraham I am going to keep you alive Abraham was an old man, 75 years old, when God first started talking to him. He had never had a child of his own. And God says, I'm going to give you a huge family. You are going to have so many descendants that it's going to be impossible to count them. He says, I'm going to establish you on this earth, and I'm going to give you a place to live. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that in your descendant, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So with Abraham, God begins to show his hand, not just I'm not going to destroy, but I'm going to roll back the power of sin and death over creation, and I am going to bring my blessing back into creation. I'm not just going to step back from it. I am going to extend a blessing to every family on earth through a descendant of Abraham. We keep on, and the next person we see a covenant with is Moses. And actually, it wasn't a covenant with Moses. It was a covenant with the descendants of Abraham that had come through his grandson, Jacob, and uh, also known as Israel. So God enters into a covenant with the people of Israel, and he gives them the law. He gives them guidelines for how to live life uh, in, a, in a proper, in a, in a correct way in this world. And uh, God commits himself to provide guidance. And here this covenant was mutually binding. God said, I will be your God and you commit to be my people. And I will give you guidelines for living life and you will trust me and you will follow those guidelines. And I will show you how to live a good life. That was the commitment God made with the people of Israel in the days of Moses, the law. A few centuries later, God entered into another covenant with the greatest king the Israelites ever had, David. And God promised to David, it happened when David said, I want to build you a better house, God, a temple. And God said, no, let me build your house. And uh, God said, I am going to build your dynasty, and I am going to use a descendant of yours, and he is going to establish the peace, uh, a peace over all creation, and he is going to establish a kingdom that will last forever, and he will rule as king over creation forever. God promised a king to come who would govern creation. And we get to the final covenant, also known as the new covenant, in contrast to the covenant of the law given to Moses. And this came through Jesus Christ. He was the promised 
descendant of Abraham who would bring blessing to every family on earth. He was the promised descendant of David who would establish a kingdom that will last forever. That kingdom began 2,000 years ago when Jesus called people to himself and the first people turned their lives over to him and began to follow Jesus. And that was the beginning of the kingdom of God among us. It was people who acclaimed Jesus as the king of their hearts and lives. That kingdom is still around today. In this building right now, there are a lot of people who are part of that kingdom, who uh, recognize Jesus as king, as Lord, as God Almighty, as rescuer. Jesus established this covenant through his own death on the cross. He paid on the cross for all the wrong things that have been going on since before the days of Noah. He covered all of that. And the only reason Jesus could do that, not only because he was perfect and sinless, but because he was the offended party. As the one, as the God who has created us, if anybody was going to say, okay, I will forgive your offense, it had to be the one who made us. So Jesus assumed upon himself the payment of our sins so that we could be rescued. Verses 12 through 17 back here in Genesis 9. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Have you noticed that in these verses I just read, there's a lot of repetition? That's the thing you find in the Bible. Uh, the Hebrews, one of the ways when they were writing things that they tried to emphasize that something is very important is they would repeat it. And this repetition really signals that what God is promising here is a huge deal. And God says, I'm going to establish a reminder, a sign that will remind my, me, although God doesn't forget things, but it's a sign to us that reminds us that even though we messed up, God chose not only to not destroy us, but to actually rescue us. Every time you see a rainbow, I'd like you to think of that that God could have said, I'm done with you. I'm disappointed in you. You're not what I had expected when I created you, and therefore I'm just going to wipe the slate clean and start all over. God did not say that. He said, I love you anyway, and I will allow you to continue living, and I will even give you the option of being rescued from your own sin and your own death. Today the rainbow has become a symbol 
representing sexual and gender identity and those kinds of freedoms and people uh, point to it as a, a symbol of diversity and specifically attached to ideas of sexuality and gender identity. And I think it's fitting that uh, this movement we have found in, in the recent decades of our culture, this movement that emphasizes uh, you do what you want to do and you be what you want to be and don't allow anybody to correct you or condemn you for anything you choose to do, that basic sentiment of I'm going to do what I want to do and everybody had better let me do it and leave me alone about it, that sentiment is, is the heart of our problem. This self-centered approach to living life of I'm going to do life my way and I don't want anybody else to say anything to me and I want to be a completely self-centered person. That's the way I want to go through life. Well, I think the rainbow is a reminder that you know what? God committed himself to give you the option to live that way to give you the option to make whatever choice you want to make because he's going to allow you to live this life. He didn't have to. He could have said, that's not going to work. If you're not going to get on board or do the right thing, then I'm not going to let you live. God could have said that, but he hasn't. He has promised that he's going to let us live this life. And he will leave it up to us whether we want to take the rescue he's offered in Jesus or not. So why is there evil in the world? Because God chose to let us live this life whether we choose him or not. That's the short answer. God chose to give each one of us that opportunity. And yes, there's a lot of evil in the world and it's our fault. But God decided it's better to rescue the people who are willing to be rescued and give everybody the chance than to not do that. Before I finish, I need a volunteer. I don't think you're tall enough for what I have in mind. Okay, come on, Aaron. Aaron, have we discussed this ahead of time? Have you been prepped in any way? No. Nope. Okay, what I need you to do is do a scribble that basically is over the whole page. A circle? Just a scribble, a scribble. You know what a scribble is? Un garabato. <laughs> well, don't draw something, just a scribble, something meaningless. Okay, perfect, thank you. You may return to your seat. So if I'm an artist and I want to create a work of art and I have my nice little piece of paper here to create my work of art and something like this happens to it, what do I do? I could just tear the sheet off. I mean, I've got another one right behind it. Start all over. Or I could try to make something out of this.
That's basically what God did. Every time you look up at the sky and see a rainbow, remember that God promised to redeem his creation, to restore it, to fix all that sin and death had damaged and destroyed. One day, everything will be made completely right. Sin and death, one day, will be no more. We know this because God promised to do it. We will not be destroyed creation will go on, and sin and death will not succeed in destroying everything. God has decreed it. All that remains to us is our choice. Will we participate in this redemption or not? Are we going to trust his rescue plan? Are we going to claim this Messiah, this King, Jesus Christ, as our Lord as our Savior, as our Rescuer. If we will, we will participate with him in this grand rescue plan, and God will give us victory over these forces of evil in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our world. And his promise is that one day he will raise us to live eternally with him, free from sin and death. I don't know... Uh, each of you, I don't know you intimately, uh, some of you here may not know Jesus the way I'm describing. You may not know him as your king and as the rescuer of your life. You're still out there trying to figure it out on your own. You're still out there trying to make something of your own life. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to have the courage to say, you know, this isn't working and it's not going to work, but if God is willing to rescue me, I'm willing to be rescued. Take my life. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you when we uh, come here in just a moment and sing a song, that's your time to respond. I want to ask you during that time to come to the front, and we'll have people here at either side. Uh, take the hand of the person, and they will help you pray and ask Jesus to take your life. Maybe you already know Jesus and there's been something he's put on your heart today, some commitment to him that he wants you to make. This is your time also. Come forward and share that with those who will be here at the front and let them pray with you. Whatever it is God may have spoken to you through his word this morning, uh, don't sit there. Uh, come forward and commit yourself with God, with other people, and let them pray with you. Let's all stand. Please come while we sing this song.